Welcome back to season two of Gold Ribbon Conversations, the podcast created to support families fighting childhood cancer in Ireland. Six children, adolescents and young adults are diagnosed with cancer every week in Ireland and the Gold Ribbon, which illuminates precious light, love, courage and compassion, is a symbol of strength and solidarity for each and every one. My name is Sinead O'Moore and it is my privilege to bring you this podcast on behalf of Childhood Cancer Ireland, a charity founded by and led by parents of children with cancer and survivors who know that one of the greatest sources of strength for this fight is conversation. Throughout this podcast, I talk to families impacted by childhood cancer, as well as the experts who care for our children's health, education and happiness. Yes, we talk about the fear and the pain, but we also talk about the hope and the friendship and the community that exists here because you are not alone. Childhood Cancer Ireland values every single donation while on its mission to help more children, adolescents and young adults survive cancer and thrive as adults and support all those dealing with the long-term effects of illness and trauma. You can help by sharing this podcast and by texting GOLD to 50300 and donating €4 Euro or visit childhoodcancer.ie for more. In our first episode of this season, we open up with Orla Donlan, a mum of four little wonderful people. A rare form of cancer arrived uninvited into their worlds just over two years ago. Eli, Orla's third child, was just three at the time. A limp and a parent's intuition led them towards tests, scans, and a cancer diagnosis. Here, we talk about the waiting, the need to know what's wrong, the relief when a team swoop in with a plan and loved ones swoop in with endless support. We talk about falling apart and about putting the pieces back together again and the hope that this chapter is over and that only good days lie ahead. Orla, thank you so much for joining us on Gold Ribbon Conversations. We have met before on a podcast. Yes. (laughs) December 19, I think it was, on like the wettest, coldest, darkest day. And you came to a studio with your little tiny bubba. He was so cute. Oh, yeah, a long time ago. <laughs> a long time ago, it was on Every Mum the Podcast and it was to talk about Rua and what he was going through. Um, little did you know, a few months on, you would be back in the world of trying to figure out how to care for a child with a diagnosis. This yep. time, Eli. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, it was. It felt very, very unfair at the time. <laughs> But yeah, to have to do it twice. What connects me to you and this story is the episode that we recorded on Every Mum About Rua was all about our maternal instinct and trusting our guts and being advocates for our children's health and knowing when something isn't right and saying it out loud and taking it forward. Is that true again in this story? Oh, yes, very much so. And similar to Rua's story, um, I found that I wasn't listened to. um, And it was very frustrating to navigate it again 
and feel like you're screaming into the abyss. Um, for us this time, it was much more obvious. Like, you know, Eli couldn't stand on his leg and I kept bringing him back and they kept saying there was nothing wrong. I just kept thinking, you know, a three-year-old should be able to stand on his leg. Um, so I, I found that very, very distressing because again, you start to think like, am I making this up? Is this in my head? Um, and that's a really lonely place to be, you know, feeling like you're going crazy. Like there's, there's something wrong with you. So yes, I did find it really frustrating. So it was visible to you, you know, the, there was obviously something wrong as opposed to for some people it's a temperature or, you know, a sore stomach for you. You could see that your little boy, you know, his, his ability to be able to run around and move for his age wasn't there anymore. Yeah. I, and it started as a limp, like he was limping. He was waking at night, you know, about 30 minutes after putting him to bed, he would wake screaming, crying in pain. And so that was the obviously the first thing that triggered me that something wasn't right. And then he couldn't, he was limping. And after two or three weeks, he literally was crawling down the hall. He couldn't stand on his leg. And I thought, okay, this is so obvious. Unlike Rua's diagnosis, where it was much more subtle and only because I had experience, you know, as a midwife, I knew that something was wrong. But this was so obvious, I thought, you know, they will surely take me seriously. But because, because they couldn't find anything on the initial set of tests, you know, that was, that was that. And it was only when I, you know, when I started asking more questions, um, you know, they had done his bloods and some of his bloods were elevated and they said, oh, well, it could be this and it could be that. And then the following week when we go back to A&E and they'd be elevated further, I'd say, well, you know, <laughs> these are elevated again, even more. So can you can you give me any more information? And um, then they started doing more extensive tests. But it was it was incredibly difficult to navigate that. Um, yeah, <laughs> we had come in for a scheduled like an outpatient MRI and you know, because all the other tests had been negative, I just assumed that this was going to be negative. So we had actually planned to go, if everything was fine, we were just going to pack the car up and go to Kerry um, that evening because we just felt we needed a week away. Maybe he needed some rest. And so we'd had the MRI and I just was getting ready to go. And they came down and said, OK, well, we're going to admit you now because we've seen some things on the MRI. So that was a bit of a shock. But we had to wait that was on a Friday and we had to wait until Monday until they could do surgery and when when I brought him down to theatre I saw his MRI up on the screen and it was just one whole side of his hip was lit up like a Christmas tree and I just knew then I, I think that was my first the first time that I knew something wasn't right now I had no idea what that meant but I, I just knew it wasn't right and um we had to wait uh, five days from that surgery and the biopsy that went along with that to get our diagnosis. And like I say to people all the time, those five days were worse than any of the other days. 
the waiting in hospital, them not being able to give me any definitive answers, which isn't their fault. Like that's just the way the testing works. And I thought I was going to go insane. Like I, I felt, I felt, I've never felt like it before. And it's like you're suffocating. It's like you want to run away, but you can't. You're terrified. Every scenario goes through your head. And I remember everyone saying to me, you know, I, of course, was like, I, I think it has to be cancer. I think it's cancer. And everyone said, no, 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 it's going to be an infection. It's going to be this. It's going to be that. But somewhere I could not get it out of my head that it was going to be cancer. And one of the nights while I was waiting, um, I was lying beside him and I should have been watching something light and fluffy on Netflix. But um, I was watching something much grimmer and I I just suddenly got this overwhelming sense that I was going to pass out, that I couldn't breathe and that I was going to vomit all at the same time. And I, it, it was just, it was horrific. I just walked out into the nurse's station and I just completely collapsed. I just bawled and bawled. And it, it's the not knowing that is a killer. It is just, it would drive you to insanity. Um, and then when we did find out, I had the most overwhelming sense of relief. I thought I knew it like I knew all along and it was just like, thank God that we have the answers, you know, like, thank, like this is, I don't know how to describe it because obviously I was devastated and in complete shock, but th there was a huge sense of relief that it had, that there was an answer there, if that makes sense. And you a know. team would swoop in and almost take take some of this off you and they would now be in charge of making your little boy better again. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, it's <laughs> in the moment, like I used to think, what would it be like if I got a diagnosis like that? And I thought, I, you know, I think you do wonder what life would be like. Um, and it's like it's just completely indescribable I, I felt like I had been hit by a bus and um, it was like it was like I was standing outside of my body I was I it, yeah I, I I don't even know if I'm verbalizing it correctly but it was just the most surreal moment of my life and um but the, the relief that somebody else was going to come in now and take over and I was not going to have to keep advocating, keep, you know, being the voice. Like we had the diagnosis, somebody else, as you say, was in charge of it now, you know? So yeah, <laughs> once we were given the diagnosis, we were told that um, the oncology team would come down and see us. And from the second day, we met them I knew that this woman was going to go to the ends of the earth for us and for Eli I knew she was going to do everything in her power and um, I was terrified I was just so devastated but they they were just they were amazing and um, they gave us the nurses mobile numbers and emails and you know everything was explained to us and one of the things is, you know, oftentimes you feel like you're, you have so little time with your doctors and your nurses, but we had 
so much time. Every appointment we had, every session was, you know, 40, 45 minutes with a consultant. She would never let us leave until we had really sat and thought about our questions. And she, they followed up with us, you know, a couple of hours later on the phone to make sure we were okay. It was just, it allowed us to switch off from the role of um, being the advocate, you know, pushing forward, trying to get a diagnosis. We were able to switch off and let them take over the care, if that makes sense. Because it's it's a scary world. Like there's so much terminology. Also, like you're trusting these people, these strangers, to be the answer that you desperately need. So you need to feel heard. You need to feel like listened to. You need to feel like you're not crazy and that you can actually, as a parent, it's so hard, like step back and actually say, yes, get a plan. And and I trust that what you decide is the right thing. Yeah. And our consultant, Sarah, I remember I was when I met her, I was so distraught. I was just I couldn't even I couldn't even get the words out to speak to her properly. But she said to me, the first thing she said to me was, I'm a mum and I know, and she she didn't say I know, but she said, I'm a mum and I can feel all of this emotion. I, I, I can understand where this is coming from. And, and that made me, I don't know why, but it made me instantly relax because I knew she was, and, and she said to me, I know I shouldn't, but I know I should distance myself, but I find it hard to distance myself from my patients. And she said that, that she would I knew she was going to make it her mission to make sure and with all of her patients I'm sure it's her mission with all of her patients to make sure that they get the best outcome and that's how we always felt um they they put us at ease always put us at ease you know there was never if we had a concern it was never you never felt like it was a stupid question if that makes sense she'd always say oh that's and she used to always say to me, it made me feel great. She used to say, oh, you have really good questions. I'd come with a list of questions. She said, these are all really good questions. And I used to think, oh, okay, that makes me feel, feel good. But she was, she was so kind. And, you know, like, even now, this might seem strange, but she, it feels like she's a part of our lives, of our family. That's how close you become to these people and um, to your team because you have to place all of your trust in them. You know, you have to hand that over to them. And um, they really they really are the most wonderful. We could not be luckier to have our team. And that's, of course, Dr. Sarah Curry, who we did feature on um, one of the first few episodes that we released in 2021. Um, just in the hour that I spent in her company recording the podcast, I fell in love with her. Like she's incredible. Oh, we are very much in love with her. And I mean, I would sign over the deeds to my house to her. Mm. She is, she's just a, she made the experience something different for us. She made it feel not so scary. I didn't feel alone because I really knew she was like, not just, accompanying us or like watching us on the journey she was there with us she was you know when she when she had good news to tell us or positive news she always 
relished that. She just, she'd always say, this is, this is my favorite thing, being able to give you good, positive news. Um, she treated Eli like, I mean, like I can imagine she would treat her own kids, you know, hugs and cuddles and spent so much time making him feel comfortable. Obviously he had a lot of fear when he was initially diagnosed about hospitals because everything is so scary, but she, she would wait for him to be okay before she would, you know, examine him or, you know, and even now when we go in and there might be a junior doctor who wants to examine him or something, he'll hold out for Sarah because <laughs> he trusts her. And that is, that is the bond that she forms with her, her little patients and their parents. You know, she, my God, she's amazing. <laughs> We are delighted to announce that Childhood Cancer Foundation Ireland has been joined by survivors charity Can Care for Living under the new name Childhood Cancer Ireland. Childhood Cancer Ireland will continue to campaign for better supports and services for families and survivors, as well as better treatments and outcomes for children and young people. They will also work hard to respect and honour the memory of all children and young people whose lives have been tragically lost to cancer. Follow Childhood Cancer Ireland on Instagram today and visit childhoodcancer.ie for more information and advice. But life carries on in a family unit and, you know, you still have to be the together mum for your other children. You still have to, you know, make happy memories and do school lunches and... how did you cope with having to adjust to that massive news, that massive processing that you as a parent, an adult, a mother has to do, knowing what you know about that word, you know, when that word is said and coming back to your other little people and still being like, you know, hey, I've, you know, everything is safe and everything is good. Um, to be honest, I don't think I did it very well initially. I don't think I just wasn't able to come home and be the happy kind of put on a brave face kind of mom. It just it, like it, I just couldn't. So I I went to a very dark place for a few days. Um, we had a lot of support, like our family were all there constantly. Um, and we had great family support, like my cousins and my uh, brothers and everybody took the kid, the older kids and brought them to the park and for ice cream. And they kept it really fun. And to be honest, without those people, you know, I don't know what kind of trauma the other children would have been, would have been inflicted with. But I and I, I remember saying this to one of my close friends afterwards and she was saying that that's very heavy. But the first thing I had to do is I had to imagine losing him. I had to go to the place where I where he was gone before I could come back and tackle what we were going to have to tackle. Um, and I know lots of people that would not be their way of coping. They would not want to think about that. But for me, and, and certainly like, my husband was not like that at all. He couldn't think about those that scenario, but I had to. And so I went there for a few days. I really let that sit with me. And then I was able to move forward because everything was better than 
that scenario, if that makes sense. Um, and then very, very slowly, just we had to take it every single day, every hour, every minute. Um, I, I don't think I ate probably for about a week. I, I might have picked at things, but every I just felt so horribly sick. Um, yeah, it was it was a very, very traumatic time, to be very honest. Um, you said in the start it felt really unfair. Do you start thinking like what happened and why and do you go down a route of trying to figure out I I definitely think that very briefly I I kind of thought did I did I do something is this why two of my children have this these illnesses both really rare illnesses um did I did I you know you start thinking about oh should I not have you know, take, taking that vitamin when I was breastfeeding or, ta- you know, you, you do do that a bit, but not for very long. I think initially, even though I would never wish this upon anybody else, I definitely felt it was unfair. Like we had already been dealt our hand of a sick child, you know, and I just thought this isn't fair. Like, you know, but that didn't continue actually for very long because you know, when you sit back and think about it, there's lots of people in much, you know, more unfair situations. And that's just the way life is. We don't have any control over it. And I suppose very early on, we knew that his prognosis was very positive. And I thought, well, that's that's our good hand. You know, this is I don't know if that's the right way to say it, but that's we can deal with this as long as he's going to survive, you know, and. Um, we'll take this hand, you know, as long as he's going to be with us. Um, but yeah, I, I think I went through a myriad of feelings. Like I definitely was very angry. Um, I was in a, I was in shock for a very, very long time. Like, I mean, I think it was months and months and months before I actually came out of that in shock. And initially the shock is, what saves you because you become so numb and you're just it's like you're just being led around the place you know you just go through the motions of every day I think it really hit me a few months down the line when the shock dissipates and you're left with this immense amount of trauma and you know we still had a massive amount of support but it's not the initial support you know when you initially get a diagnosis um people I mean my friends would always be happy to let me talk about it but you don't feel like you want to talk about it all the time you don't want every conversation that your friends have with you to be about that and so life goes on like you said people have other things going on in their lives you can't talk about it non-stop you know and so I found it very difficult further down the line and also that's when the trauma of the day of finding out like I would relive those moments of finding out the words that were said to me um you know the kindness of the people around me you know I remember when they told us 
well they told me because it was during COVID so Tim couldn't be in there so it was just me and Eli and I mean I howled crying and I was in a three-bedded ward so there was two other children and their two mothers there and I could hear one of the mothers saying let's go let's go for a walk now let's go and go for a little walk to the shop and the other mother says yeah let's go out and they both left and it was that it was that kindness that they were giving me some privacy and also probably themselves thinking thank you know thank god it's not us you know let's um and I relived that often and I also then um a lovely play therapist came in and said that she would sit with Eli if I wanted to go get some water so I went down to the little parents sitting room and there was another woman there and I was just sitting there bawling and um she just she she said you probably would say no if I asked you but she wrapped her arms around me and gave me this huge hug and she wouldn't let me go and you know the way (laughs) in those awkward hugs with a stranger you're trying to pull away but she just wouldn't let me go and actually eventually I just kind of fell into her you know um and it's just so I you know months down the line I was reliving these encounters these moments um and yeah like I've said it before but that those that day is etched like etched on my soul like I will never forget the feelings the things that happened you know it's but it does come like I feel like sometimes the reason I was reliving it was to process all the trauma to kind of walk through it over and over again you know sometimes after you've had a baby and you keep going over and over the details of it it's like that you know it's a way because there's a before and an after there's a before that day and there's an after that day and your life is not the same no no and it's also just like you just can't it's just you think it'll never happen to you you know you think this I'll never get that diagnosis like my kids are healthy look at them and then you do and you think oh my god like did this just happen did this just just happen um so yeah I uh I think initially I didn't process it well I but I was definitely being carried by the shock and then it was a few months down the line and I thought oh my god what am I gonna do you know the crash catches up yeah absolutely how was Eli through this was how aware was he of the the situation the the language the why is my mom so upset like you know he was three yeah so he had no we didn't we didn't actually use the word cancer around the children only because um I know that the older two would have associated it with you know, the loss of certain family members. So we didn't want them to automatically think mm. that because he had cancer that they were going to lose him. So we just talked about how Eli had a disease and how his it, it was affecting his leg. Eli was still, you know, so little at three. Mm. He didn't, he knew that he was going to the hospital because his leg was sore. And even to this day, like he's five now and we still talk about you know it being his leg being sore we still don't use the word cancer not because we're afraid of it or fearful it's because I'm afraid of the associations that the kids would have it um with it um in terms of (laughs) like (laughs) I remember when told me he was sitting on my knee 
and I was howling crying and eventually he fell asleep on my knee because I, I was obviously rocking or you know crying so much the emotion obviously sent him off to sleep um, and and I do often think I, I often feel really guilty that I couldn't hold it together for him a bit more you know but then you know we often say to the kids we don't hide our emotions normally from them and we explain that it's normal to be upset about things you know and I don't know I don't know if it was the right thing or the wrong thing but it was just I couldn't there was no way for me to hold it in in that moment and I was alone like if Tim had been there or somebody else you know he could have taken mm-hmm. Eli and or I you know it was very difficult to try and do that during COVID um but yeah <laughs> I think we're just open about it now you know I would we would have talked with the older kids about you know like I was very upset because I was worried about him the same way I'd be worried about if you guys were sick um, and they understand that you know it's just a normal part of life to be scared and worried and you know <laughs> with the I suppose time teaches us a lot of things and no doubt there will be people listening to this that are at the beginning of that and are still in that you know adrenaline mode um they haven't quite figured out the processing they haven't quite figured out how life goes on with the time that you have had over the last few years is there anything and of course every situation and every personal circumstance is of course different but is there anything now that you wish that you could have put in your mind back then to say you know to ground you to say that you know there will be there will come a day where everything is okay or you know little I don't want to say like little cliches but uh, however it is that you process it however it is that you take each day and step forward is there anything over the last few years that you feel like you wish that maybe you could pass on if you were in that waiting room and this new mother was there after just hearing those words yeah one of the hardest things that I had to hear I did not want to accept it but it actually was the most helpful thing my mom said to me you know, tomorrow isn't guaranteed for any of us, for any of your children. Something could happen to one of the other ones tomorrow. And she kept saying, so you have to just live today, for today, in today, don't think about tomorrow. And that is the hardest thing I learned because as a parent, your whole life with your children is, you know, you're thinking about their future, you're thinking about their first day at school and they're going to college or, you know, getting their first job and getting married or having kids, all those things. You're, pro- well, I know I certainly do. I project into the future to see, to you know, to have kind of like this idea of what their life will be like. So telling me to try and just live for today and that tomorrow might not happen for any of us, that was really hard for me to swallow. But it was the one thing that I tried to do was just think of today. He's here with us today. He's home with us today. He's not in hospital today. And over time, over the weeks and months, the more I practiced that, the more it became second nature to me. And 
it actually transformed our lives in general. Like a diagnosis aside, we just we don't think too much about what's going to come, you know, tomorrow, next week, next month. We're just thinking today was really happy. Today we did this. It also helps, I think, on the days that are really bad. You know, if your child has pain or if your child is really sick with their treatment, it helps you to know that tomorrow is a different day. You know, we just are, today you're just living in the moment. Um, and again, it's really, really hard because you want, I think, the same with Rua's diagnosis. I wanted to fast forward two years to, to know he would be OK. But those two years are that's part of their life, their childhood. You, you know, even though you want to get to the point where, you know, they're going to be fine, that's you're just wishing away a huge chunk of their lives. And I didn't want to do that either. So it's it's a catch 22. You don't want to live in the diagnosis, but you also don't want to speed up time, you know, at this crucial moment of their lives. And so and I also didn't feel like doing anything fun. I didn't want to feel happy. Not that I didn't want to feel happy. I just couldn't feel happy. And it took me a very long time to feel any kind of little glimmer of joy because I think as well, when you have a diagnosis, the happy, joyful moments are just so tinged with fear and sadness because you're afraid that like, oh, we're having this happy moment now, but what if this, what if he's not here this time next year or this time in five years? And so it It makes you vulnerable. Once you allow yourself to feel that happiness, it can be taken from you again. Yeah. And, you know, I, I have a friend who's navigating her own diagnosis um, for her child. And we talk a lot about when you like now, even two years down the line, and I was saying, I, you know, we have this new house and I'm just so happy. But for, for me, I'm so fearful that I'm happy. Okay. What's the price to pay for this now? What am I going to have to Mm to give in exchange for this and there is a lot of fear in happiness because you're afraid like I was happy before and that was taken from me and you know so (laughs) it's all very complex and you know you think that you're totally alone in these feelings but there are lots of people feeling the same thing you know did it help for you to connect? You just said there like that you have a friend who's going through her own journey with a child. Does it help for you to connect with people who have had an experience of hearing not just cancer, but hearing anything that I suppose can bring fear to the safety and protection that you want to offer your children? Um, I, th- I have this one friend I have is the only person I really want to share I didn't want to join a support group I didn't want to join Facebook groups I I very briefly joined a Facebook group when Rua was diagnosed and it was just too heavy for me Mm. and I I I didn't want to be there and also I just was angry that I had to be there if that makes sense Mm. like I didn't want to be in this group I didn't ask to be here it just wasn't for me um, and then but I think if you have one trusted person just one person who can maybe empathize or has been there it does really help like 
you know, to to say I'm feeling really cross today, I'm feeling angry, I'm so scared, you know, it is it is good, but I think you have to find the right person, if that makes sense, you know. Um so but yeah, in general, I didn't want to be in any kind of um diagnosis group or anything like that. It just and I know lots of people find it so, so beneficial. It just, I didn't, I didn't feel like I fit in there, if that makes sense. Because sometimes we don't want it, you know, it's natural to not want this diagnosis to consume your whole self, your whole identity, your whole life, you know, for your children or for you. Yeah. It's important to have it be that this is something that's happening right now. But it's not, it's not now another part of you for that you're joining this club, that this is something that, you know, defines, I suppose, where you're at. Yeah. And I also think, you know, when you have such a broad spectrum, just saying cancer, there's such a broad spectrum. Everybody is going to have different severities. Everybody is going to have different um, treatment plans. And I just didn't feel like we fit in any, like, I, I didn't feel like we fit in. Um, and I also didn't want, I suppose, I know I said initially that I went to that very dark place, but when I came back from that dark place, I didn't want to go there again. So I didn't want to hear this. I didn't want to hear the traumatic stories because it was too much for me to take on. It was too much for me to just, you know, cope with my own traumatic experience with my child I I couldn't take on anyone else's and so I just felt I wanted you know I wanted to be insular I wanted to just to be me in my bubble with my family you know maybe not the right way but (laughs) no well there is no right way except for the one that supports you the most within your little bubble of course there is your partner who also is experiencing the diagnosis of their child you know going through this but how how did you find how this impacted you being able to speak with each other about it or you both processing at different ways at different times um so we we would process things very very differently <laughs> so I would typically talk and talk and talk and he would typically not talk <laughs> um but actually, we we talked a lot. Um, for you know, I know it can be very challenging on relationships because, like you said, if you're experiencing, you know, feelings at different times and processing it in different ways. But we we actually, I think it made us really close. Um, we were able to. We just, I think, we just wanted each other. <laughs> we didn't you know, when those days would come when you would want to just talk about it, but you didn't want to burden anybody else. You didn't want to burden your friends or your extended family. We could just talk about it with each other. You know, I suspect he often didn't talk to me when he had feelings as much as I talked to him, Mm. because I think, I think he felt that I was taking it really hard, but, um, you know, I would try and tease it out of him a little bit, you know, 
get him to open up a bit more and 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 we did and you know well we survived going through it so um whatever way we did that (laughs) it worked you are each other's person yeah and I think one of the things that I did deliberately is when I felt that he was really bottling it up I would deliberately talk about really difficult parts because I wanted him to have a release like I wanted him to be able to be upset if he needed to be and so sometimes maybe unfairly I would I mean there were feelings I was feeling as well but I would try and maybe talk about the really dark stuff so that it would allow him the opportunity to let it out if he wanted to and and he, and he did and um yeah like we I think as well what really kept us going was the tremendous amount of support and when I say like if you have if you know somebody who's going through a diagnosis like this any tiny bit of reaching out to them will be so much appreciated like people left us food people and like that was the biggest thing because I can tell you I didn't feel like cooking for months I couldn't even I couldn't even think about it It was just too much headspace for me so people I don't think we had to cook for weeks and weeks and weeks and that was the first thing that actually propped me up you know it really held us up so much we didn't have to physically cook people had there was food at our door all of the time and even simple things I remember my friend saying to me when I said I I don't think I can do this like they said you you be there for him and we'll hold you up and like it was just such a simple thing to say and I still think of it to this day knowing that your friends are going to be there is just like I can't describe it to you and sometimes I think about the kindness that was shown to us and I can't like I can't even it's just I think like you know people we used to go to this coffee shop around the corner and people would ring the coffee shop and like pay for our coffees and people you know like I I can't even describe it but it was beyond kindness like things you just can't imagine um and that kept us going genuinely if if we had been on our own I don't know what would have happened but that was so supportive to us um and and I'm not saying you need to be buying coffees to to feel supported but I mean just knowing that people were there and cared so much and you know would do anything to help it was just you know and I and I think before I would have been the kind of person who would say no no no, you don't need to do that or but actually I tried to put myself in their shoes and if I was someone's friend who was going through this I would want to feel like I could help like I would that would be so lovely for me to feel like I could do something to help and so I, I kind of stepped back and I just allowed people to help and support us you know I don't think we're great at that <laughs> but I, I oh wow it was really it was amazing and even now when I meet people people always are just so kind want to know that we're okay and 
so happy for genuinely happy for us when they hear everything is going well and you know <laughs> I don't know how to describe it but you know people are there's it's sometimes very easy to see all the kind of crap stuff in the world but wow getting a diagnosis will sure show you how amazing and kind people are um yeah <laughs> it's really rallying you know when yeah when you know the people that you love are in pain you, you know you do what you can I love how food is the first thing that we we go to because it's a symbol of wanting to nurture. It's a symbol of wanting to, you know, to love and, and keep you warm and keep you growing, keep you alive. It's, yeah. Um, it's such a simple, but like there's so many, so much meaning that comes with, I need to bring them food. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I kept you know all the cards and notes that people left and I when we were packing up the house I found this big box of them and it was wow it was a major emotional release to read through them again but you know I remember reading these ones from my my cousin's girlfriends and they would come and they would drop like baskets of cookies on the doorstep or a basket of freshly baked bread like genuinely it was just the loveliest thing but it also was so lovely to see how many people cared for him, like how much people were loved him and wanted him to be okay. And it just, it was just, I can't, I don't know how to describe it. It was just, it kept us going. It kept us feeling so loved and like we were being wrapped up in, in a hug all the time. Um, and you know, people just going above and beyond to make sure that he and we knew that they, we were loved, you know? <laughs> Sorry. It's, it's indescribable, but it's, it's what they wanted you to feel. It's what they wanted you to know. And that's how we, that's, that's how we get through anything. Yeah. We need, yeah. we need, we need care, you know? Yeah. We need what the doctors do and we need what the people around us do. Um, sometimes I think we probably need it more often when, you know, it shouldn't have to always get to, to a diagnosis of cancer for, yeah. for us to be able to show each other how much we actually care for each other and how much we want each other to feel supported and to feel cared for things are looking up for you you've just had the most beautiful month in Kerry you are waiting to move into your new family home things look stable mm -hmm. you spoke about how you know there's often a fear a trade-off <laughs> if good things are on the horizon what do you have to give up but maybe yeah. it's just your time maybe it's just your time Maybe the bad stuff is yeah. behind. I mean, I definitely feel like that with the new house. I feel like just because we've moved, we're going to move into a new house doesn't mean that nothing bad will ever happen where the boys won't get, you know, sick again. But it, for us, it just feels like maybe it's a new beginning, like a fresh start. And um, I don't know, in my head, I just think this is 
this is the future now there's you know that sounds really cheesy but like this is our life now this is going to be a fresh start um and yeah like I don't know that's how I see it and I think that's why moving was such an emotional process because we were leaving a house that you know we had experienced all of this kind of pain and trauma in and we had to kind of face up to that and like leave it behind so yeah I very much am seeing this new house as a symbol of a new beginning so I'm hoping that it will be (laughs) I'm hoping it will be too and I do trust it will you know it's it's time for you to to enjoy this next chapter this next phase um, I'm sure it's incredibly emotional packing up a family home that you brought your babies into um, but also that you you know you suffered those moments in um, this is a fresh start it's incredibly important that we pass on what we learn along the way and you've done that in this episode of you know talking about those first days the, you know how it felt but what kept you going because what this podcast can also do not just support the people who are parenting a child with cancer but it can be shared beyond that so that people who don't know what to do don't know how to help can listen to this and can get some kind of perspective as to actually well what do we do for our friend for our neighbor for our sister if this happens yeah yeah, we never expect it to happen, but sadly, the statistics show that it does. Um, and while we can't often prevent it, and while we do rely on the doctors to to do their thing, um, we do need each other. Yep, yep, we really do. <laughs> and that's, I suppose, what this podcast and these conversations is about. It's just another little way that through talking and listening and connecting that maybe people feel a little bit more cared through it. Thank you for listening to this Gold Ribbon Conversation. There are more Gold Ribbon stories written by those fighting childhood cancer on our website, childhoodcancer.ie, and you'll find a link in our show notes. If you can, we would love you to share this podcast across social media using hashtag Gold Ribbon Conversations as it can help more families to discover this show. This podcast was produced by The Brand Story for Childhood Cancer Ireland, hosted by Sinead O'Moore and sound production by Alan Breslin.